Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. I don't know what God is stirring in your heart. I don't know what you bring to the table today. I don't know what doubt, what shame, what guilt, what joy, what hope. I I don't know where you sit, but I'm certain of this. God's not done today. Like God's not done wanting to speak to his church, wanting to encourage his church, wanting to bring life to his church. I don't know what you brought. Here's the good news. You don't have to be fake in front of God. Like, he already knows your stuff, right? Do you know that? If you don't know that, that's like a, it's a terrifying thought and it's an encouraging thought. God already knows your stuff. You don't have to come to church and pretend and be plastic and try to look better than you are. We invite you into moments like this for you to have honest and holy and sacred encounters with Almighty God. Because we believe that he is the only one who can bring hope in a world that doesn't look that hopeless sometimes. Am I right? Like, we're asking the question in this series, like, why are we hopeful about the future? And the Sunday school answer is because of Jesus. Like, that's my answer. And I'm going I'm to unpack it greater than that. But honestly, the only hope I have is Jesus. Like, if you look at the, the banking system right now, ain't got, I ain't got much hope or faith in that. I don't know. I don't fully understand what happened the last two weeks, but I know it's not good. Like, you look at the economy. Man, it's not great right now. You look, at, you look at how people treat each other these days. On my drive into church this morning, someone almost killed me on the highway, and I'm going, and they, and they put up a finger that was not Christ-like at me, and it was everything in my soul. I was like, the cross, Jesus loves you, right? Like, that, you had to turn it. Like, there's not a lot. Like, there's sometimes you look around, and you can get drugged down into this hopeless sense, and yet... I have hope because I think God's not done. Like, I I don't know what God wants to do, but when I start looking down at the world around me and it feels like the water on the beach is receding and I'm left in this dry desert of sand, if I just look up, I believe that God is reloading another wave of his presence for his church and for a lost world and for hurting people. That's why I'm hopeful. And so inside of the series, we're unpacking thoughts that are hopefully real thoughts, real questions people wrestle with. And so I want to, I want to start with a question to you. Have you ever gotten lost before? Hands up, ever been lost? Your, your, your ways or your GPS didn't turn on and you're like, I have no clue how to get home from the shopping center I go to every week. Like, I don't even know how to get home without it. I remember getting, anyone ever gotten lost? This is, we're in Georgia, at least here. I used to grow up around cornfields. Anyone ever get lost in a cornfield as a kid? No, okay, it's just me. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm country. Like when I was a kid, you get lost in a cornfield, it's terrifying because you have to go in straight lines. And you just walk. They, they used to tell you, if you get lost in a cornfield, walk until you get somewhere you can see. And there were many times I walked into a road and went, I don't know where I am now. I'm lost. Any, anyone ever lost a kid, even for a second? Like 10 seconds, 10 minutes. Keep your hands up. An hour. Three hours. Police in the back. Keep those hands up. My wife and I, we lost Lincoln, our youngest, when he was about three years old in a Chick-fil-A. Like, it's so small. Like, where did he go? Amber, you have him, right? No. Where'd he go? Homeboy comes walking back like this. Me get ice cream. Like, he went to the register and asked for ice cream. They gave him a free ice cream cone. 
Lost my kid. We taught him, if you get lost, you get free ice cream, which was not helpful in his development. Last, last Saturday night, literally a week ago, my power goes out at like 7 o'clock. Off. Like someone, like a cartoon character, threw the switch to the electricity. My house is dark. I wait two, three, four hours. It doesn't come back on, so I go to bed at 11 o'clock with no power. Here's a, here's a public service announcement. When you go to sleep with the power going off, go around and turn the things off that you left on. Because when the power comes back on at 2 in the morning, I woke up, ah, ah, lights on, music playing, television on. I did not know where I was. I was lost. My wife and kids were at the beach. I reached to the left. My wife's not there. I didn't know where I was. I was lost. I had to go around the whole house. Turn off every light switch. I don't, it was like a blender's left on or something, right? Like you got to remember what she left on. I got, I got lost. I didn't know where I was. Let me ask you another question. If you ever lost your way, think about this. Maybe you've been married long enough where you can start to lose your way in marriage. Where you once sacrificed and served. It's just You lost your way in that. You, you parent long enough where you're not as intentional as you used to be. You lost your, your way. You work somewhere long enough and you just you stop giving it 100% effort. And you sort of look for the shortcuts and you, you lost your way. You've been in school long enough where you're like, man, I know how to figure out how to cram before the test and pass the test. But you lost your, your way in this. You see, today the question we're wrestling with is has the church lost its way? That's a real question. Has the church lost its way? Has it lost what it was created for? Has it lost its way in this world? Has the church just sort of been lost? See, if, if you can lose your way, that means the church can lose its way. Like if you, if you can lose your way in marriage or work or career or calling or parenting or school, so can the church, so can any institution like, let's just be honest. Don't answer these questions. It could get weird. Has the media lost its way? Yeah. Like, it, 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 it's, not, it's not unpartisan anywhere. Like, I don't care what you watch. It's lost its way. Has the education system lost its way? Yeah, in some ways. Has the banking system lost its way? Sure. Has the government lost its way? Sure. Has culture lost its way? Listen, everything has the propensity to lose its way. And listen to me. Has the church lost its way? In some cases, yeah. I mean, just get, let, let's just get real honest. Whether you've experienced it personally or seen it in the news, there's churches who have lost their way. Scandal and sin being found out. I've seen it in the news. Politics overtaking their biblical calling. Financial impropriety coming to light. Hypocrisy among the people. Man, we know how to look better than we are, don't we? We know how to hold people to standards we don't hold ourselves to, don't we? It's getting quiet. Disunity and infighting in the church where we're like, we serve the same Jesus and then want to knock each other out about something silly. Bad theology, churches drifting from the Bible. Listen, when churches lose their way, people get hurt. And I just want to talk to you for a second. Some of you are here because you were hurt by another church. And you're asking, man, is this place better than the last? I hope it's not like that last place. Some of you are here, but you're hesitant to follow Jesus because you've seen a local church lose its way. Personally, I have lost pastoral heroes who've lost their way. 
into sin, scandal. I've lost pastoral friends, and it hurts. And, and I think we're so critical of the church because we would love for the church to be what it actually says it is in the Bible. So when it doesn't meet that standard, it's like, I so wanted the church to be better than me. It's like the first time you realize your parents said to you as a kid, share your toys and don't fight. And then you see them not sharing with each other and fighting. And you're like, wait a second, you're supposed to be better than I am here. Like sometimes you can look at the church and think that, listen, we long for the church to be what the Bible says it is. And that's not always been true. But I want, you, I want, I want to start together with a, with a scholarly just three minutes. And I want us to understand what does the Bible say the church is supposed to be? Because we don't know if the church has lost its way until we know what the church is supposed to be in the first place. So, so let's start here. Ephesians 1.22. And God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The ecclesia is the Greek word, which in his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. See, the area of, of theology that, that studies all things that are the church is called ecclesiology. And it comes from that Greek word ecclesia. And in, in, in a general term, that's referring to a gathering or an assembly. See, when Scripture in Ephesians talks about the church, it's the root meaning of the church is not that of a building, but that of a people. I want to say it again. The, 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 the underlying thought of the church is not that of a building, but of a people. See, over time, historically, the church has been taken very different forms over time. The early church was persecuted. And so they met in caves and catacombs and secretly in living rooms. And then history progresses and Constantine made Christianity a, the official state religion. And that's where they started building cathedrals and massive, huge religious buildings that they would worship in. And then today, churches all over the place here in America, they meet in buildings big and small. Buildings that were built from the ground up to be churches. Buildings that used to be something else that are repurposed now as a church. They, they meet portably. They set up and tear down like we do in our Jackson County campus. They even meet in living rooms to this day like we do in 12 Stone Home. The church is not about the place you gather. It's about the people in the gathering. And it's the place where Jesus is the head of it. Like maybe you've never realized the church is not the place you're sitting. The church is the collection of us. In fact, just last week, the church can look so different. Just last week, a group of our men's small groups got together and went on a mission trip to Africa, and they shared the gospel with the Maasai people out in a field. Here's a picture if you want to see it. Out in the middle of a field in Africa, they shared the gospel, and 100 people came to Christ in that field that day. Isn't that, that, like, that's the church. It's not the buildings we sit in. The church takes so many different looks, and it experiences very differently. But, but the church, here it is. The church is not a building, but a body of believers with a specific nature and purpose given by Jesus. Like, that's what the church is. Every campus that we own could burn to the ground tomorrow, and we'd still be the church. We'd, we could go meet in a movie theater instead of a building, we'd still be the church. You see, Jesus created the church and said, listen, you're, you, you have a unique purpose and calling. And here at 12 Stone, God told us, this is our calling as a church, that we would help people know God. Not just know religion, but know him personally. And then we'd help people find freedom from their mess and their past and their baggage through the power of Jesus. And then we'd help you discover 
purpose, why God puts you here, and then that you would live a life that makes a difference. See, this is the calling of our church here and now. And 12 Stone, church is a people, not a building, not an institution, even not a religion. It's a people of which Jesus is the head and Jesus assigns what we do and what we look like. And one last clarification. When I say church, there's two angles of church you need to understand. The first is the universal church. The second is the local church. So first, universal church. And that consists of everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says this way, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, the church, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all who were made to drink of one spirit. The universal church is anyone in any time from any place that follows Jesus. We are a part of the, the church universal. From the time of Jesus until long after we're gone, that's the universal church. Then there's the local church, and that is the local and tangible expression of the universal church, of which 12 Stone is a local church that belongs to the universal church. And I'm telling you this because you have to denote the difference between the universal church and the local church. Otherwise, you'll look at a local church who's lost its way and think the universal church did. Local churches have can and will lose their way, the universal church never will. Jesus has plans for the church, and he says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It ain't going to lose its way, even though other churches, local churches can. And I want you to understand something. This is not new. You know what we're tempted to start thinking? Like, with social media, and the news, and headlines, you can look around and think, the church is losing its way for the first time in history. This has never happened. Did you know that there were two whole chapters in Revelation where Jesus addresses seven churches who had lost their way? This is like the church has only been alive for a few decades, and they've already lost their way. This is not new. This does not scare us. This does not shake us. This has happened since the beginning. We were prone to lose our way. And Jesus, here's the cool thing. When the church lost its way, Jesus didn't say, hey, it's cool. He rebuked them. But secondly, when that, those churches lost their way, he brought hope to the equation. He said, yes, you've lost your way, but you don't have to stay there. Like, like, yeah, you're off the path. You've missed the calling, but you don't have to stay there. Find your way back. And I want to sit inside of three of the seven churches in Revelation that Jesus talks to. And I want, to, I want to illustrate with the first two and land on the third one. But these are three ways that I still believe the church can lose its way today. And I want to use this as a caution for not just the institution of the church, not just 12 stone as a local church, but you as the church. In fact, here at Cross Campuses, look at your neighbor and tell them, you're the church. Tell them, remind them, you are the church. And look at the guy next to you and say, so are you. Like, you're the church. Like, the chair you're sitting in ain't the church. You're the church. But the church can lose its way. Why? Because you can lose your way. We're only as on our way as you are on your way. We're only as lost as you are. 
as I am, as we are collectively. So I want to sit inside the first church, and the first one that Jesus addresses is the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus, they were settled with the truth of God, but they lost their way with love. And if I'm talking to you, you're going to know it relatively quickly. They held on to the truth, but they lost their way in love. Revelation 2 says this, Jesus talking to the church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You're doing a lot of stuff. Keep it up. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but aren't and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Good job, Ephesus. Like Jesus starts with a compliment. I see what you do. Good job. And you got that like hanging shad, like what's coming next? And the very next, that's a ref. If you're, if you're a Gen Z, you're like, what's that? You'll never, hopefully never have to worry about that. Uh, anyway, so it's Florida. Circa, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go into it, but it's complicated. You're like, Jesus, good job, good job, good job. And then he says this in the next verse. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. That's something you don't want to hear from Jesus, right? Like, uh uh-oh. Like, in their efforts to protect the biblical truth and doctrine and theology, they had lost their love for God and for people. See, a church can lose its way when it grabs a hold of truth so hard that it can't love people anymore. Can't love God like it used to. It becomes, listen, sola scriptura, it's only the Bible. Yes, the Bible is central. God's inerrant and holy word, active, living, never comes, never comes back void. And yet Jesus died for the world, for people. And this church had gotten so wrapped up in protection mode that as they guarded the truth, they stopped guarding their heart. See, if you tend to lean this way, I just want to caution you. You can lose your way and still have the right truth. And here's what Jesus said. This is the hopeful part. Revelation 2.5. Repent and do the things you did at first. Like Jesus didn't say, you've lost your way and I'm banishing you from everything. He said, no, come on back. Listen, if, you, if you've lost your way this way and you look at people and go, everybody doesn't meet the standard. I can't, I can't stand this. Jesus goes, come back. <laughs> I'm wild about people. They were close-handed with the truth, but they were close-handed with people. Then we go to the next church, and it flips. I want you to see this. The church at Pergamos. They were settled in love for people, but they lost their way with truth. I love that the Bible actually talks about this stuff. Because here's what it says in Revelation 2.13. Jesus says, listen, here's a compliment. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Jesus is saying, even through persecution and people killing other Christians for what they, what they stood for, you, you didn't leave my name. Through martyrdom, violence, and persecution. But then you got the hanging chat again. And Jesus says in the next verse, I have a few things against you. (laughs) Here's some places you've lost your way. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. What is that? 
Because you're like, I don't, Balaam, all right, that, I won't hold to the teachings of Balaam. Am I good? Right? Like, I, let, let, let me, the, the Nicolaitans did this. They, they presented an improved and modernized version of Christianity. They took the core truth of the gospel and what God called sin and what God called good and bad. And they said, listen, we got a new way of doing this. Like that, 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 that Bible thing is awesome. That's cool. But I, I, th I think we can make room for some things. And this is historically what they would have made room for, for adultery and redefining what marriage was. The unrestrained indulgence. They said, listen, that's okay. Enjoy your, your life. Do what makes you happy. Sexual immorality. Just make your own rules. They promoted teachings that, that made God okay with sin. And Jesus was saying, listen, I, I know you've held true to my name. You, you, you're trying to love God and you're loving people, but you've lost your way with the truth. And when Satan couldn't accomplish getting the church off their way through persecution, he tempted them through alliance. When, it, when he couldn't do it through, through violence, he did it through alliance and, and deception. And he said, just take God's core truth and just click it a couple degrees right or left to sort of adjust to your world. Now, I'm, I'm not going to camp out here long. But I am going to say this. My heart gets heavy in this topic. Because I love God, I love his truth, and I love people. And it's getting really complicated today to hold those. See, when Jesus was talking to the churches in Revelation, he was talking to their pastors, saying, guys, and you've lost your way, come back. The problem is when you're a pastor, people begin to pressure you. I'm not saying like you individually, but the collective of people start to pressure and say, man, I, I wish you'd sort of make a caveat for my particular thing. I got a situation. Listen, don't do it everywhere, but for mine. And I get the pressure. The last two years, man, I, uh, I get it. And I'm watching what's happening. And you may have started to see in our culture, pastors and churches who under the pressure, because they love people just like this church. They love people, man. I, the pressure to say, I'm going to make a caveat in truth here or here. You might have seen churches you know start to do this. Even churches with national platforms and audiences begin to sort of walk back from the truth of the Bible. And listen to me. When you redefine God's truth on what is sin, just like he did in Revelation 2, he'll do again. I'm going to rebuke you. Come back to truth. It might have started from a good place, your heart for people. But Jesus is saying again in Revelation 2.16, here's what he said to this church. Repent, therefore, which means turn 180, turn around and come back the other direction. Don't stay lost. See, as we love people, we have to also love his word and his truth. And the Nicolaitans decided that the truth of God was outdated and they presented an updated version. Listen, truth never gets outdated. Methods all the time. You would be surprised at what I would change to reach people for Jesus. But I don't want you to be surprised about what I would never change. And that's the truth of God. So you can lose your way by loving the truth and holding doctrine, but not loving people. Jesus says, repent. You can lose your way by loving people, but drifting from truth. And Jesus says, repent. 
And those two ways of losing your way in the church get all the headlines. But I think the third church, this is the one I think God wants to talk to us about. Ephesus lost its way. Pergamos lost its way. But the third church is the church at Laodicea. My favorite church name of all time. Then it roll off your tongue. I said this at prayer yesterday. I love when Southern preachers like use Bible words because it sounds so country. Laodicea. Like, I know that's not how they said it back then, but I'm like, I wish it was. The church, you know, look at someone, you could have fun. Say Laodicea. Say it that you just, man, you're a biblical scholar. The church at Laodicea. Now I'm starting to sound like Laodicea. Anyway. When Jesus talked to this church, he was talking about their lukewarmness. The first two churches, first one didn't love people. He still gave them a compliment. Second church drifted from his word and his truth, still found something good to say about him. Church of Laodicea. Jesus doesn't start with a compliment. He just goes in hard. He's, he's going hard in the paint, straight at him. Here's the deal. Here's what he says. Revelation 3. I know your works. And this is where he put the compliment, and he doesn't. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The church at Laodicea just got it hard from Jesus, the head of the church. No compliments. You know what they tell you to do when you have bad news for somebody or hard news? What do they tell you to do? Make a sandwich. Hey, you're awesome, but you're bad here. But don't forget, you're sort of awesome. And like they can receive it, right? Jesus is like, throw the bread away. You're lukewarm. It's like Jesus saved his harshest rebuke for the church that was just sort of like this church lost love for people. This church lost truth. And he still has something good to say. The church of Laodicea said, you're lukewarm. I have kids in my house. So there's cups of liquid everywhere. Any parents notice that? Like just cups, like you rinse it and use it again. There's cups everywhere. And I remember a couple months ago, I had a Coke Zero poured in ice which, by the way, is just God's nectar and shows his love for you because Coke Zero was created. All the Coke, all the flavor of Coke with none of the calories. Coke Zero, get one today. I got paid for that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do love me a Coke Zero. So I'm drinking Coke and I got some friends over and I'm not thinking about it. I grab a cup and I drink it and it's milk that my son had poured that morning, sat out for like four hours. Have you ever like expected something and drank it and it wasn't that, not even close to that? Literally, it hit my tongue, and the things that happen in your synapses in 0.3 seconds, all I knew to do was this. Like, it just rolled down my shot. I couldn't keep it in my mouth. It was, it was disgusting. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. When, when I, when I, when I, Jesus is saying, like, when I came and wanted to take a sip of the water of your church, I expected it to be piping hot like a cup of coffee in the morning on your back deck, and I drank it, and it wasn't even, like, it would be better if it was cold. At least it would be refreshing. Like, it was just lukewarm. 
See, with Jesus, you can be cold and reject him. You can be white hot and you can accept him. But the only thing you can't be with Jesus is lukewarm. See, here's a quote that haunted me and I hope it haunts you. Here's what it says. Deep down, there is no one more miserable than the lukewarm Christian. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. See, the church at Laodicea had just enough Jesus to feel religious and just enough Jesus that the world didn't satisfy. But then equally, this church had just enough of the world in them that they couldn't be satisfied in Jesus alone. I feel like this is a lot of the American church. There are seasons when this described me and Jesus says, you're lukewarm. See, what would the church of Laodicea have looked like? Like they get a bad rap, but I don't think they'd have looked like bad people. <laughs> I think I'd have liked that church. They would have done their ministries. They had their programs. They probably would have been a lively church. It was a wealthy city. They would have had assets and resources. They'd have probably had a decent kids program. They'd have probably had a decent summer camp. The people in the church probably weren't jerks. They were like, yeah, I mean, live and let live, and we'll come check the boxes. We'll do the church stuff, and they probably weren't bad people. That's what's scary about this. It's easier to look at the first two churches and go, you lost the truth of the Bible. You're evil. You don't love people. You missed the heart of God. How dare you? And then you hear this one and go, that sounds like a decent church. <laughs> See, I... When I read about this church, it does something inside of me that makes me uncomfortable because I think I would have been really comfortable in that church. And yet Jesus said, I'd spit you out of my mouth. How did it start? Did it start with the pastor and get to the church? Did it start in a small group? Start with one person and so spread? I don't know. But eventually the whole culture of this church of Laodicea was known as lukewarm. Just enough Jesus stuff to make me okay and feel like my eternity is good, but just enough of the world that Jesus doesn't satisfy. Can I tell you what I think is a holdover from the last three, four years? Lukewarmness. Not just in faith. I think it's lukewarmness everywhere. Like the last two or three, four years sort of make, made all of us kind of go, what's the point? Like, how, how, how's school going? Oh, I mean, it's, it's okay. How many even felt this way? How's, how's your job? Yeah, oh, man, it's, it's good. It's okay. How's marriage? Man, the old ball and chain, man. You know us, but uh, we're, we're okay. We're good. And how, how's, how, how's your health, man? How you doing? You still working out? Uh, it's, it's okay. Haven't you felt this way? Like the holdover of the last four years for me is like, it's okay. It's okay. Is the third time funnier? It's okay. <laughs> like it's, it feels like that sentiment's in, like it's in the water. And then that starts bleeding into our faith. And it gets dangerous. 
here's what, here's what Jesus says to this church. He adds this. Like he went so hard in the paint that he's like, now let me say this first. <laughs> Those whom I love, I, repro I reprove and discipline. It's like, listen, I, I'm going to discipline you because I love you. If you're a parent, you've said this before. Jesus is saying it like a dad. <laughs> like I, I'm, you're going to be grounded because I love you and the kids never understand. But Jesus is saying the same thing. He says, so be zealous and repent. See, for this church, he adds a qualifier to repentance. First two, repent, repent. Third one, be zealous and repent. See, I think the church loses its way when it loses its zeal. Yes, you can lose it in truth. You can lose it by not loving people. But when you lose your zeal and you get lukewarm, it's potentially the most dangerous way to lose your way. Because that's in here. I can come back to truth up here. When I lose my zeal, it's down in here. And Jesus says, you've got to return to your zealous Love for me. See, if you've, if you've felt lukewarm, I think God today is saying, come back to zeal. And here's what I mean with zeal. The definition of zeal is this. Great energy or enthusiasm for the pursuit of something. Great energy or enthusiasm for the pursuit of something. Like it's, I'm all in. I, I, I want more of that. Like when you hit January 1 for the first three days of your gym membership, you have zeal. Day four, eh, right? But zeal is, is how it began. I had zeal in my marriage for the honeymoon in the first month, and then it sort of gets more complicated, and zeal tends to leak. And do you know what I believe God's doing in his church? I think God is calling his church back to zeal. The world feels lukewarm. My job, not mine, I love this job, but your jobs might feel lukewarm. You heard me, God, I love this job. You, your, your, your school and your education might feel lukewarm. Your relationships might feel lukewarm. God's saying, church, I'm calling you back to zeal. Lukewarm serves no purpose. Cold water in the summer is the, the best feeling in the world. A hot tub in the winter, awesome. Lukewarm water all year long is useless. Church, we can become useless. Don't you long for zeal? I do. See, I think God's saying this. Find your way back to zeal. David said it in Psalm 69, for zeal for your house has consumed me. Romans 12, 11 said, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. When Jesus went into the temple and started flipping tables, you know what his disciples said? Oh, that's right. You know what they said about Jesus? That he would have zeal for God's house. Like zeal is what drives us forward. A zeal for God, a zeal for his church, a zeal for lost people, a zeal for serving and giving and prayer and worship and evangelism. God wants to call us back to zeal. And one person's excited about that here at Sugar Hill. I'm sure the other campuses are losing their mind. 
I'm not even going to give you another try at that. You're, you're, we're going to get to zeal by the end. See, when Paul's talking and now we've got, now we get the pity claps. Nope. Nope. Eh. See, in Colossians 2, here's what's cool. Paul's talking to the same church Jesus is in Revelation. I love scripture, how it all connects and winds. And like these places aren't made up. They're real. Laodicea. Colossians 2, here's what Paul starts his, his conversation with his church. He says, I, I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged. He's starting here going, listen, I, I want your, your enthusiasm from the inside out to be encouraged. And then Paul begins to walk them back to zeal. And if you've lost your way, how do you find your way back to zeal? I could give you a list of a hundred things, but I'm going to give you my two. Like when I lose you, listen, I'm not perfect. I lose my way to which my wife at Jackson County is saying amen right now. Probably I lose my way. I drift into lukewarm. It's all of our tendency. When I, when I drift, there are two ways that I think God predominantly wants to bring you back to zeal. And it's what Paul highlights in Colossians two. The first way is this. Remember what God did for you. See, when I drift to lukewarm, it's because I forget. I just want to read what Paul says to this church. He's calling them back to the gospel. He says this, having been buried with him, Jesus, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, you weren't a bad person. You weren't just wayward. You weren't just imperfect. You were dead. And then God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. How, how do we sit lukewarm when you remember what Jesus did? Like, I have to bring myself back. When I first experienced Jesus and his forgiveness, I couldn't shut up about it. He I was dead. I had no hope. And then Jesus, I had zeal. And then we forget. And what Paul's saying to this church is, listen, Laodicea, don't forget. You're not some religious institution. You are a people who've been raised from death to life by the person of Jesus. Remember, when you lose zeal in your marriage, you rewatch your wedding video and you're like, remember those days? See, when you lose zeal in your faith, you, you replay the videos of God's faithfulness, kindness, mercy when I didn't deserve it. Remembering who I was before Jesus. It brings me back to zeal. See, when you drift into lukewarmness, second thing. You draw near to something hot. And not like you tried to do at the high school dance. I'm not talking about a, like a hot person. <laughs> physically speaking. When you're cold, what do you do? You sit by a fireplace. Like when, 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 you, when you get cold, like you turn a space heater on and throw your feet next to it, right? Like when you're cold, get around hot things. Like this isn't like super science here, guys. We get this, right? Nod with me if you're with me. When you're cold, you get around hot things. Listen, like coals in a fire, the ones that are piled up in the center stay hot. 
because they keep each other hot. The ones that get knocked off to the side quickly get cold. When you drift to lukewarm, get around things and people that have a white hot zeal for God. The challenge, however, is people that have zeal for God often hang out in costly places. People who have zeal for God do costly things at costly times. If you want to get around them, it's going to be costly. See, for me, Saturday 8 a.m. prayer is where God rekindles my zeal. I won't get too into the weeds, but by Saturday morning, I've worked and worked and worked and worked. I'm about to go do the teaching, and I'm, I'm drained. And, and for me, Saturday prayers where God restokes the fire of zeal in me. See, when I, when I gather in my small group, my brothers and sisters in Christ, they stoke the coals of zeal in my life. I get around people that have zeal, serving with people at the church. If you're a student, M12, H12, C, C12, every week we gather together. You see, when we gather in church, part of the reason we gather is to stoke each other's zeal, to call each other out of lukewarm. If I got a cup of lukewarm water and I pour boiling water into it, they both come up to the temperature. See, in church, there's people who can sing lyrics of a song with zeal that you can't sing right now, and they call you up to it. There's people in church that can amen to something in a teaching you can't amen to in this season, but it calls you up to the zeal of it. Ironically, the very place that can lose its way, the church, was designed to help you find your way back. This place is imperfect because I'm imperfect. And then put a mirror up. And so are you. Don't judge me. You're imperfect too. That was probably one of you that used a finger on the highway to me this morning. <laughs> See, the church can lose its way. But ironically, it can help you find your way back to zeal. See, the church at Laodicea made church a box to check, a, ryth a religious rhythm to keep going in. All right, we did our church service. All right, what's next? All right, we're going to the buffet for lunch and move on with life. Now listen, go to the buffet for lunch for me. It's awesome. Enjoy it. But what they lost is their zeal. See, zeal is what takes religious obligation and makes it worshipful. See, ultimately, draw near to God and ask him to renew your zeal. See, what... Paul continues on, he says in verse 6 and 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He's saying, listen, walk with God. He's the one that brings zeal ultimately. Maybe a prayer for you that you might need to repeat for days, weeks, months, or years. God, renew my zeal. God, renew my zeal. God, would you renew my zeal? Tired of forcing it, tired of feeling dry and just doing religious stuff, tired of checking boxes, I'm tired of working harder, tired of trying to earn it. I want zeal. You would be shocked at what God would do with that prayer. He can take you back to the places you used to be with him, or he can take you to new places with him. I want to give you a picture of zeal, and then I'm going to close, and the pastor is going to pray for you. For years, I begged my son Luke to watch Georgia football games with me. Super spiritual. And he could not care less. 
So he comes sit on the couch next to me. And his whole thing was he was trying to gauge when he put in enough time that he could get up and leave and I wouldn't be like, sit back down. Because you know if you go one minute early, like you could have waited a minute and been good, but he went a minute early. I'm like, no, come back. And now he's stuck for 10 more minutes. And it was just like, obligate. Come on, son. Like, look, they're playing. And he's like, I don't care. Over the last two years, that's what two national championships will do to you. But over the last two years, he's fallen in love with Georgia football. And now he's asking, go dogs. And he's asking me now, dad, we going to watch the game Saturday? And I'm like, I'm so happy right now. I don't have to set an alarm for the game. I don't have to, I don't have to like force him to sit down. He's going, hey dad, watch this. McConkie's over here on the side. I bet he's going to do a post round. Like he's in the game. Listen, the same team, the same game, but new zeal. It could be the same songs, but with new zeal. It can be the, the same prayer and Bible morning rhythms you have with God, but with new zeal, the same small group, but a new zeal. Same job, but, the, but a new zeal. Say, I'm a missionary where I go. I met Jesus. I want you to meet Jesus. The same marriage or family, but a new zeal to love and to serve. Listen, in a minute even, you're going to have the chance to have the same offering moments we do twice a month, but with a new zeal to put God first. The thing that you need is not a new church or a new program or a new rhythm. It's new zeal. See, what zeal does is takes the things that were old and repetitive and makes them new again. Church, I'm praying that God would give us a new zeal, passion, enthusiasm, desire, hunger. Don't you want more? I long for the church to be what it says it is in Scripture. And the church can only lose its way is when you lose your way. My hope for the future doesn't rest on the institution of the church, wise ministry, good strategy. It rests in the transformative power of Jesus Christ that produces zeal for his name and his house and his church. As our pastors are getting up, ready to pray for you, let me just two groups. If you're spiritually seeking, you don't know Jesus yet. Let me just ask you this. Where have you allowed a local church who lost its way to keep you from finding your way to God? People can hurt you that belong to a church, but where has that become the excuse? And now the imperfection of people are keeping you from the perfect love of God. Secondly, believers, followers of Jesus, where have you lost your way in zeal for God or his church? Maybe you just need to add that prayer to your life. God, would you renew my zeal? In fact, that's what the pastors are going to do across the campuses right now. Is we want to pray that God would renew our zeal.
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.